Kia ora, I'm Alex Ashton and this is The Detail. Today, the rise and risks of e-scooters. It's crazy, it's interesting. I just saw them today and I thought, wow, you know, I didn't know what it was about. And I looked it up online, I just put scooter rentals or whatever and that's how I came across it. I was like, oh boy, I gotta try this. Electric scooters are part of the landscape in our main cities now. They're so common you'd be forgiven for thinking they've been around forever, but they only came on the scene a year ago. And like anything fast, they go 27 kilometres an hour. They're just sitting there for the riding with or without a helmet. It's possibly unsurprising that people got worried pretty quick. And and then all of a sudden, it wasn't long before these do-gooder annoying safety concerns. I'm looking after the population to feel good about myself because I'm full of insecurities. People started talking up (laughs) and they're trying to ruin the fun. You know, they are right. Someone's going to get hurt. And as predicted there... A 23-year-old man has died after um, falling off a lime electric scooter in downtown Auckland last week. The death is believed to be the first from an electric scooter in New Zealand. So are the safety regulations up to scratch? Are these scooters up to scratch? Tobin John Hunt's death has been referred to the coroner now, the big question being if a mechanical fault is to blame. Lyme says no. This witness suggests otherwise. So as you saw it, Jeff, the back wheel starts to lift. Did the scooter come to an abrupt stop and uh, buck up and over, in essence? Yes. Absolutely. And he wasn't wearing a helmet. Whether you're a fan or think e-scooters are a dangerous fad. It's hard to imagine the inner city without scooters. That's certainly true, and it's extraordinary. They were uh, a Christmas item for for some people with uh, shopping at the end of last year, and they suddenly burst onto Auckland streets at about the same time, and um, they'd come out of, almost out of nowhere. The company you would have heard mentioned most is Lime. They're the green ones on trial in Auckland and Christchurch. There's also Wave in Auckland. Wellingtonians can grab a Jump, owned by Uber, or one from Kiwi company Flamingo. But the major player is Lime. When you push that button, you aren't just unlocking a scooter or a bike. You're unlocking something with the power to open up your world. When you unlock a Lime, you unlock life. Simon Wilson is a columnist for the New Zealand Herald, who focuses on what's happening in Auckland. The company arrived in New Zealand, and it arrived way ahead of the regulations, and that's really one of the big issues. So there are regulations that govern the way uh, scooters or any vehicles are used. Um, It's simply not true to say that they're not regulated. There are a whole lot of regulations that talk about safety and uh, due regard for others and and all of those things. Regulations Uh, within what? Well, Ministry of Transport. Ministry of Transport has regulations that cover all vehicles um, and and prescribe uh, basically in general terms but pretty explicitly prescribe that you've got to behave in a safe and reasonable manner with due regard to everybody else around you and and that clearly includes scooters. However, the regulations were written way before the scooters arrived um, and there are no specific regulations as yet governing the scooters and one of the reasons for that is they're being trialled or what's called trials Um, but another reason is that uh, the wheels of government, <laughs> excuse the pun, uh, mm. don't move quickly enough when you get sudden disruptive technology like this and, and they just, they're just out of step. Given that these things go fast, 
You don't have to wear a helmet. They can be picked up That's by anybody right. any time of day. There's a whole list of reasons why these things shouldn't have been let on the streets. Yeah. Were you surprised to see them pop up as they did? Yes, I think so. Um, one of the big issues is that where I said before that there are regulations but they don't specifically apply to scooters. In fact, there are some regulations that do apply to scooters and one of them is in relation to cycle lanes. Cycle lanes are for for bicycles. Yeah, so because they're prescribed as being for bicycles, you're not supposed to ride a, an electric scooter in a cycle lane. That's clearly nuts. And the practice in Auckland, and I imagine in other cities, is that people just do it. If there is a dedicated cycle lane available, the scooters use them. Uh, bicyclists, I'm one of them, don't mind. Uh, it seems to be the appropriate place for them. Pedestrians, of course, don't mind, and, and cars don't mind either. So it is surprising to me that almost a year into the trial, there hasn't been a change in the regulations that simply makes it legal for a scooter uh, to be in a bike lane. Um, we haven't had that yet. I dare say that will be one of the things that comes. Where are they supposed to go? On the footpath or on the road. In fact, largely on the road. When did the complaints start? Um, as soon as they arrived, of course. Um, the thing about that, there are two types of complaints about e-scooters. Uh, one of them is that they endanger pedestrians. Since these e-scooters have come in and been using the footpath, there have been a large number of injuries. That you know, There's all the ACC data that came out. And the other one is that they are inherently unsafe and the number of accidents or, or crashes uh, is, is too high. A new study published this morning in the Medical Journal shows e-scooter crashes are causing the types of injuries associated with car crashes. It's found the injured are clogging up already overburdened hospital wards and the cost to the health system continues to climb. If you look at those two complaints, they're very separate uh, and they should be dealt with separately. The first one, that they endanger pedestrians, is, is true. Um, a, lot of, a lot of scooter riders, particularly in the first few months, were on a scooter for the first time and they were getting used to it and they were you know, having fun. Zoom down the street and here I am and I made it one piece. <laughs> and perhaps not uh, many of them not uh, behaving with due regard for uh, pedestrians. And, of course, if you're walking along and you don't hear something coming up behind you and it then whizzes past you, the rider might know that they're being safe, they weren't going to hit you, but if you're the pedestrian, you don't know that. It's enough you, to or it's you, just suddenly yeah. just something that flashes past you and it's only a, a half a metre away it's a, or closer. Um, that's, that's upsetting. Um, and if in, you're in any way worried about being knocked or bumped or knocked over because you're frail or elderly or you're a child or anything like that, you know, those, those are real problems. So it is really important, in my view, that we separate pedestrians and scooters. Uh, and the way to do that is to build a much bigger infrastructure for micro-mobility vehicles, bicycles, skateboards, scooters, whatever else comes, because there will be more uh, to use that are not on the footpath and not on the roadway with cars where it's dangerous to them. That's the first point. The second point is the safety uh, for riders uh, and clearly there have been far more accidents uh, than people might have expected. The injuries we're seeing are surprising in that they're high energy blunt trauma. So these are the kind of injuries you wouldn't expect from a, from a micro-mobility device. Little wheels, uneven um, ground. Um, I mean, I've ridden a, a scooter quite a lot. Um, 
it's tricky. You know, the little bumps that you can go over easily on a bicycle or you just walk through uh, can be can be really dangerous on a scooter. Uh, our footpaths are not built for them because they're not in good enough shape. <laughs> and that means that um, councils and the Ministry of Transport have to consider the issue of speed, of helmets and so on. My personal view is that it would be wrong to... Uh, treat them as if they're so dangerous they can barely be used. Uh, they've got to they've got to remain fun. Uh, they've got to remain um, reasonably safe, uh, and that means that if if you can use them on, as I've said, uh, if you can use them on dedicated cycle lanes, uh, you shouldn't be able to. You shouldn't have to go much slower than than a bike. What gap do e-scooters fill? Are they people pedestrians that now yeah. lime, or are they people that used to Uber that lime? What it's, space it's, are they? It's a bit of all of it. Um, Lime has done a big survey recently and they suggest that in New Zealand there's a, I think their figure is something like 60% of Lime use is uh, commuter use. Um, I don't know how big their survey number was, so I don't know how reliable that is, but it does suggest certainly that there is a sizable proportion of people who are using them for commuting. So one of the gaps is if you live reasonably close to town or close to where you work, um, you might use a Lime or use a scooter. Um, another gap is the, what, what's called the last mile. So there's a big push in Auckland from many people who have to drive to the uh, bus station uh, and then there might be a park and ride there but the park and ride will be full by the time they get there so people want more park and rides. The reality is you can't provide enough park and rides uh, for everybody who wants to catch the bus, particularly with the very fast rate of growth. I mean, we've got one of the fastest rates of growth in public transport in Auckland of any city in the world. Uh, it really is remarkable. You can't keep building, car, converting land to car park spacing or building car park buildings, which are not cheap to build, you know, just to cover that. So you've got to be looking at ways in which people who don't live within walking distance of the bus station can get there. So if you get the bus um, and you get off at the bus stop or the bus station, if you're on the northern busway, say, in Auckland, and you've still got a kilometre or two to go to get home, um, a scooter might uh, help you with that. Um, and if you get up in the morning and it's still there, you can <laughs> go back the other way. Um, so that's that. La- what's called last mile um, option. It will be a part of it. And long term, that's probably one of the big future uses of this kind of micro mobility. Little devices that you that are not that are publicly owned or, or that are not privately owned uh, that you hire for that last bit of the journey or the first bit of your journey. And scooters won't be the only thing filling that gap. They also um, a lot of people who w- might have walked around town or Ubered, as you say, or caught a bus uh, or a cab. Um, they're now on scooters, and then there's a recreational use too. Clearly, you can see people saying, let's, you know, let's go for a, for a ride because you know, for most people on them, it's fun. People talk about them being an accident waiting to happen. When someone does get killed, there will be a huge witch hunt as to how this happened. I would like to feel that we can actually have the research beforehand and ensure that we have got the safest way in which we can introduce them for everyone's benefit. Do you seriously think someone could get killed? I do seriously think someone could get killed. Over the weekend, we don't know exactly what happened yet, but somebody died riding an e-scooter. How much do you think that is going to change Um, The the first thing to say about that is that it's a terrible tragedy and, and uh, of course, that's that's a horrible outcome for for anybody using a, a, a vehicle like a scooter or for, or for anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, um, over the weekend, did people die on the roads in other ways? Um, 
probably yes. Um, if you look at the uh, crash statistics uh, in this country, uh, scooters are not causing most of the deaths and serious injuries. Um, cars are. What's more, car- half of the deaths and serious injuries in this country are cars hitting people who are not in cars, on motorbikes, pedestrians, bicycles, and in some cases even scooters now too. So far this year, 127 people have died driving a car, as have 56 passengers. 33 motorcyclists have died, 23 pedestrians, and 8 cyclists. And of course, we've had that one death on an e-scooter. We don't ban everything just because misuse or terrible use or something that couldn't be anticipated happens and and they cause injuries. So it's a question of managing the risks around the scooters rather than saying, gosh, um, if you use them you might die. If you get in a car you might die, but we're not going to ban cars. How do we manage those risks then? What are some things that Lyme could do or Ministry could do or whoever? um, There there need to be uh, regulations around use on footpaths. And there's a difference in in my mind between um, using a a scooter on a a busy footpath in a city uh, compared with using a a scooter on a a quiet uh, suburban footpath. Um, but there again, of course, you're using on a quiet suburban footpath. You go around a corner and there's somebody just standing there on the footpath and you, they weren't expecting you and you weren't expecting them. That's Nobody wants that uh, situation. So it, it is difficult. What it, The big thing it points to, and this will take time, uh, is that the the way in which we get around our cities is changing. Now, it's no longer, it's not going to be the way in which most people do it in 10 years, 15 years, we don't know how long, but it, but, but it won't be much longer before we stop using the car for most things. The use of micromobility, small vehicles, um, is going to fill some valuable, uh, fulfill some valuable functions. Um, and whether it's scooters or whether it's little pod vehicles or um, things that you or I can't even imagine yet because we're not trying to invent them, uh, we don't know. And there'll be lots and lots of things that happen and some of them will become popular and some of them won't. Um, but that kind of variety, that kind of alternative uh, transport network will develop. And what we need in the cities is that places for those to be used, uh, which means what we now call cycleways to become... Uh, you know, I imagine cycleways would be a little bit like smartphones. We think of them as phones, but we don't use them as phones. We don't make a lot of calls on them, most people. You know, we use them as communication devices and information devices and they're and entertainment devices. Um, cycleways, which we, what we call now call cycleways, will become alternative paths, alternative lanes for those micro-mobility vehicles. And when we've got enough of that, when they all connect up and we've got proper networks, uh, we're going to have safer cities and more fun cities too. There's still going to be times, though, where you, I mean, you can't have a cycle yeah. way everywhere there's a footpath. Yeah. So what about the helmets thing, for example? Do we make helmets compulsory on them? Um, uh, there's two arguments about helmets. Um, one of them is that Clearly, if you are wearing a helmet and you're in a crash, um, it uh, will help you. The other argument is that safety gear for people riding bikes and scooters can perversely have a, an off-putting effect. Uh, can mean that people um, perhaps behave more riskily than they, uh, more ris- in more riskier ways than they should, but also can just put people off riding. Yeah. And we want more people to ride. The thing about all these sorts of things in human behaviour. If lots and lots of people do it, then they become 
standards and modes of behaviour and it becomes normalised and as a consequence becomes safer. It's a little bit like if you've got a if you're in town at night and there's lots of people around, then you're safer than if you're uh, there in the dark street on your own. If you're one of hundreds of people uh, riding along an, an arterial road uh, at peak time, uh, you're going to be safer than if you were just there were just one or two of you, yeah, because everybody has to take account of hundreds. How do you think that Lime has acted as a company? They have. Uh, made all the right noises. They've been very clever at uh, getting the deals. I mean, I personally don't think they pay nearly enough uh, for the trials that they're doing. Uh, if you do the numbers, um, they make a lot of money out of this because, country already. Yeah, let's side, sidebar quickly then. So, so Lyme pays the councils. Yes, but it's only, it's only a few thousand dollars. You know, it's a tiny amount. Um, Lyme, so what's in it for the council? Um, the council gets to work out how to how to have micro-mobility working in the city in a way that will be acceptable to most people and the way in which will be functional for, for everybody. Trialling things in order to work out how to, how to get the best, uh, the best solution, particularly in a fast-changing world, uh, is, is a good way to go. So rather than saying, oh, we think it's all going to be like this, so here's our set of regulations, and expecting it to have to stay like that, because that's not how the world works anymore. Has the trial been successful in Auckland? Because you look at things like the fact the brakes weren't working, Lime says it has received 155 reports of random breaking. Some of those have resulted in broken bones, massive grazes and bruises. You look at the fact that there's been a death, there's been several accidents, ACC claims. Are things going well for Lime? You'd have to say things could have gone quite a bit better for, for Lime in terms of the accidents on them, uh, or crashes on them. I'm not sure we can call them accidents. I don't know if, you know, I don't like the term accidents in any kind of road safety because there's usually a cause that you could predict if you, if you knew, knew enough about the vehicle and the conditions and the, and the rider or the driver. And, and we don't, you know. Um, it's, it's an easy trope uh, when a scooter is involved in a crash to say, oh, there's another Lime scooter that's had an accident and, you know, how inherently dangerous they are. We don't know enough about them to know that. Uh, if you put... A drunk person in charge of any vehicle, though, they are likely to um, <laughs> come out badly. If a drunk person gets on a scooter on a Friday night and thinks this is fun, goes down a hill and crashes, is it the scooter's fault? Really? You know, do we take away the scooters or do we do a little more as a society to say, hey, mate, don't get on that? You said earlier that the, the scooters arrived before the regulations. Do you worry that there's going to be this attitude that won't go away of they're dangerous, get them off the streets? Um, I think that's always the case. I remember in the um, the first Auckland Council meeting where uh, Lime scooters were being discussed and one of the councillors turned up and uh, late to the meeting. Was that when Christine Fletcher? That was Christine Fletcher, Fletcher yeah. that's right, and she breathlessly told the story of how she'd nearly been run down by a Lime scooter on a, on a pedestrian crossing. I do not want to be a killjoy. I think that this technology is really exciting for Auckland, but we do need to have some protocols around safety that will protect everybody. So my, my thing was... What have we got in place? And the mayor fortunately supported me and said, let's get a report on it. That's not a good way to be making decisions for the city um, when something bad had happened. If she'd, if she'd come in and said, some 
hoon in a car just cut me off and, and, and crashed into me or nearly did, people would have gone, yeah, that happens. We would have understood that that happens. But somehow we had to panic suddenly because scooters uh, had arrived and, and uh, that councillor felt that, that she'd been personally threatened by them. I mean, so that's the first point about that. And the second one is we don't even know if that's true. We don't know how close it was, how fast it was going. We don't know, you know, the circumstances are, uh, weren't verified, weren't verifiable. And I'm not saying she was lying about it, of course not. Uh, but her perception of what happened may be different from what other people saw. Now, having said that, if she was worried about, if she was frightened by it, then she was frightened by it. That's a that's a genuine thing. So we need we need regulations to allow people to feel safe, um, but we need to try and make those regulations in a way, in a context where people aren't just panicking. When does the trial end? Um, I think they're coming to an end, it's coming to an end quite soon, so I would expect there will be some sort of resolution to it uh, this year in Auckland, but in terms of when will government regulations be uh, developed uh, or, or revised, um, you'd have to ask them. What do you see happening, in Auckland at least, with with the the end of the trial, do you think it's likely that they're going to be allowed to stay on as they are, or do you think there'll be changes? Will they have to lower the speed? What might happen? Um, I would be very surprised if they're not allowed to stay on. Um, I assume that will be the case, but I think there's got they've got going to have to be some regulations about speed where they are sharing the space with pedestrians. That's the detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. Keitha Masalamini is our associate producer. Kakite anō.